Hello, Britain Ryan Straw here. Since 2011, Buckethead has released 344 albums in his Pike series, and I'm listening to them three at a time. This is Getting Head a Bucket Cast. <laughs> Welcome, dummies, mummies, and cummies, bummies, crummies, yummies, and chummies, hummies, summies, and those who play gin rummy, glummies, people who eat weed gummies, and um jammer lammy, lemmy, lemmy's ghost, game show hosts, and people born in Ivory Coast, writers for the Washington Post, and people who write jokes for roasts, SNL actor Colin Jost, I think. The furthest most chef making rib roast. The utmost boaster of the sclerosed French toast. Look alive, it's bundled with pride, misguided and poked in the backside. Don't forebode, or it might be your last, cause it's episode 105 of Kitten Head, a bucket cast. Man, it's big 105. Uh wonder what 105 is. Let's uh, consult the 105 Wikipedia. Here we go. It's a... Uh, no, that one sucks. That's mathematical. No, that one fucking sucks, too. Oh, that one sucks even worse. Ooh, poly polynomial? No, thank you. A psych cycloptic polynomial. That sounds really useless. No, thank you to all of that. All right, so uh, 105 is canceled. But it's still episode 105. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How are we today? Uh, we are live and alive from uh, sunny Seattle. I'm recording this on a Thursday, October 13th. It is absolutely gorgeous out. Buckethead keeps rele uh, releasing fucking um, live pikes. I don't know why. It just keeps doing it. Um, released two more, I think, since our last episode. Um, and it's just, I mean, the recordings aren't bad. And I mean, I don't think any of them are nearly as bad as the first two live pikes he released that were just like recorded on a phone quality. But, uh, I mean, great that he's almost keeping up with like the pace I'm reviewing them, but like, do we really want to get into the live pikes? I mean, a lot of them have very similar track listings and, um, you know, they're live. It's it's fine, but it's like he's just playing a guitar usually on these live bikes, one guitar to backing tracks, and that's, you know, fine, but that's just kind of what he does on the pikes too. So yeah. All right. Well, no, we'll see how they are, I guess. We'll we'll get into it. We'll cross that bridge. We'll burn that bridge when we come to it, right? I guess so. All right, what else we got? Let's uh, let's do a Patreon update real quick. Let's talk about the Patreon. What's going on with our uh, our parent company, Dumb Idiot Bullshit, uh, CEO, me. Um, we've decided to uh, go ahead and split our other show, uh, my other show, uh, Soy Trek, into two episodes. That's kind of cool. Uh, each episode is going to, you know, right now is between three and four and a half hours long. And consequently, I kind of have to bounce it into two separate files because it's like, too big to export as one file, which is nuts. Um, and then uh, I usually have to bounce it, and then I have to rejoin the two files as one big track, and then bounce it again to usually a uh, 128 uh, mono file and a 64K mono file, both of them um, uh, MP3, just because the side 
uh, size limits for not only Patreon. Patreon only lets you uh, upload half a gig at a time. And, um, you know, if you want to do a good quality, like, Wave or uh, AIFF of four hours of audio, it's going to cost you fucking, you know, four or five gigs usually. So uh, they won't let you do that. So it has to be MP3. So I have to do a whole bunch of just, like, different retranscoding, converting, all that kind of fun dumbass bullshit uh, for the episodes, and I'm like, why don't I just split them up into two? That way, like, you know, basically we'll probably get, like, twice the ratings, which is great, and then we can, you know, we can already do ads. We already have that many listeners, but uh, on that show, at least, we'll never have that on this show. But, um, you know, we can uh, we can monetize it if we want, and that'll, uh, you know, if you're on the Patreon, uh, give you a good reason to stay on the Patreon, and if not giving people a good reason to go there. Get ad-free shows, get uh, both Soy Treks at once, and uh, this show, whenever I uh, get it done, instead of Sunday morning, like everyone else in the world has to. So, you know, that's cool. Um, I'll get to bounce everything at a higher resolution. It'll be less work for me, more content for people. I'll probably be doing like double the Trek news, double the talking about politics on there and shit, which will be fun. Um, you know, uh higher ratings, you know, whatever. It'll, it'll give us a, there's a bunch of reasons to do it. No reasons not to do it. Other than some people just like listening to like four hours of uninterrupted dick jokes about Star Trek, which is wild to me. That's absolutely fucking wild. But so yeah, that's, uh, that's what's going on with Patreon. Uh, and, uh, thank you to our $5 and above tier patrons. Um, we promised to mention you on the show, so here you are. Thank you so much, Mr. Dan Morrison, Dylan Lance, Ian Killia, Devin Saturnus, and Jordan Hale. Uh, we appreciate all of you. And uh, everyone else, uh, you know, but mostly the $5 and above. That's, I'm kidding. We appreciate all of you. Thank, thanks for your support. Uh, what else we got here? Um, what is in the news this week? Oh, okay. Uh, one of my favorite things in the news this week, you know, most, most news is bad news. Uh, you know, there's really no such thing as good news. But this week in court in Connecticut, <clears throat> you might have heard, Alex Jones was uh, ordered to pay $965. Oh, I'm sorry. $965 billion. No, not billion. Million. Uh, almost, almost a, f a full billion dollars, which I don't think he has that much money. Obviously he has a lot of money. He's probably got a lot of money stashed away here and there. He makes crazy amounts of money. Some people did the math on stuff. He, he sells like he resells like survival food supplies and shit like that. And, um, you know, like he makes so much goddamn money off of that reselling and shit, but he, uh, you know, no one knows how quite how much money he has because, uh, you know, most of his companies now have declared bankruptcy and I think they'll have to because of this judgment. And also, um, he was both held in default and also uh, a couple of years ago they tried to appeal and uh, the judge, or last year, I guess, they tried to appeal and the judge said no. So they've already had their appeal denied. So they can't go to appeal. Uh, they can't really get it lowered. Uh, the only thing that can really happen now is the judge can add money, which is funny. Um, uh, the lost a court case a few months ago, I think in Texas and they ordered him to pay, uh, what was it? Um, like $49 million. But in Texas, uh, I guess a lot of things are like basically capped at 5 million. So 
he'll probably only have to pay, you know, a fraction of uh, his Texas settlement. However, the Connecticut settlement, like, it's going to force him to have to go into bankruptcy and sell off everything. Um, now, I think the most interesting thing that could come of this probably um, is the acquisition of InfoWars. Because InfoWars is definitely the most valuable brand that Alex Jones has. Uh, arguably, like, the brand InfoWars is more, you know, uh, worth more than Alex Jones is a person. It's It's hard to really separate the two in a lot of ways, except that InfoWars is the the branding besi- behind Alex Jones, you know? So, um, if if it goes into bankruptcy, it's gonna ha- it's an asset where, like, the company basically has to be sold to someone or someone has to buy it. Now, of course, it'd be obvious for uh, an outlet like, you know, OAN or uh, Fox News or something, or, you know, pe- someone with skin in the game in the conservative world to actually try to buy it, but it would kind of be amazing, I think, and they should try to do this with the judgment, if they're able to, try to get it to where, like, InfoWars is basically given to the plaintiffs. Um, and if, if something like that happens, they can basically retool it into a left-wing media outlet that could be, that already has, you know, the infrastructure of an insane right-wing outlet, which I think would be absolutely incredible. Um, and could do a lot of good for the world, but I guess we'll see. Um, so, uh, what else? Unfortunately, Jeremy Richmond, uh, one of the, I think nine plaintiffs in this Connecticut case, uh, whose daughter, uh, Avil, Avili, Avili was, um, unfortunately a victim, uh, in the, uh, the Sandy Hook shootings, uh, uh ended his life on March 25th of, uh, 2019. So RIP to him. I wish he could have been here to see this and see Alex Jones absolutely losing everything for, you know, destroying some people's lives. Like, there were multiple people in this case who had to move because they kept on getting threats on their lives because they were doxxed by people who thought they were state actors because, you know, Alex Jones said they were, which is just, after your child is killed, like, to have to endure that is... A, a fucking atrocity. And, um, I hope Alex Jones like gets absolutely whatever's coming to him. And this is, I mean, really a drop in the bucket of, you know, what needs to happen to ameliorate the misery and the, the scourge on the world that he has been like, there's basically nothing he can do in his life that is going to you know, compensate for the damage to society he has done. But, um, you know, this is a good start. I mean, this is basically completely deplatforming him, which is fucking awesome. Um, one of my favorite things here too, is like about six months ago in, uh, in March of this year, Alex Jones offered a settlement of $120,000 to each of the 13 people involved in the lawsuits which was quickly rejected. And it's a good thing it was because uh, each one of them is now entitled to uh, roughly like 900 times that amount from him, which I mean, he's never going to be able to pay. There's no way him and all of his assets, I don't think are worth a billion dollars. They could be, but I doubt it. Um, And I doubt anyone will buy his assets for that much. But 
this is a good start to the end of Alex Jones and to the end of this incendiary, slanderous, bullshit, right-wing, whatever. Whatever it is. It's, it's dog shit is what it is. I hate it. I can't even think up of a good word for it. It's so, it's so terrifying and terrible and awful. It's the worst. Speaking of the worst, y'all want to get into some goth news? Let's jump right into it. Goth news. Goth news. Hey, in goth news this week, according to a study published by the Lancet Psychiatry Journal, young people who identify with a goth subculture might be at increased risk of depression or self-harm. The findings show that teenagers who identified very strongly with being a goth at age 15 were three times more likely to be clinically depressed and were five times more likely to self-harm at age 18 than young people who did not identify with a goth subculture. Uh, Our study does not show that being a goth causes depression or self-harm, but rather that some young goths are more vulnerable to developing these conditions, said lead, lead author Dr. Lucy Bowes, from the University of Oxford. Depression and self-harm are common among teenagers with up to one in five 15-year-olds in England saying that they self-harm. Contemporary goth youth subculture has been linked to deliberate self-harm, but until now, whether this association is confounded by the characteristics of young people, their families, or other circumstances was completely unclear. The study used data from the UK Avalon Longitudinal Study of Parents and Children to investigate whether identifying with the goth subculture at age 15 is linked with depression and self-harm in early adulthood. The current analysis looks at the results from 3,694 teenagers who provided information on self-harm and depressive mood uh, and the extent to which they identified as goth at 15 years and their self-reported depression and self-harm at age 15. Participants were also asked about identification with a variety of other youth subcultures such as sporty, populars, skaters, loners, bimbos, and then here's two English ones I don't know at all, but I find them very funny, chavs, and keeners. I think chavs are like kind of white trashy or whatever they have there, and then I don't know what keeners are at all. I find that very funny though. Uh, let's see. The researchers found that the more young people identified with the goth subculture, the higher their likelihood of self-harm and depression. For example, compared to young people who did not identify as goth at age 15, those who somewhat identified as goth were 1.6 times as likely to have scores in the clinical range for depression at age 18, and teenagers who very much identified as belonging to the goth subculture were more than three times as likely to be depressed. Although some other subcultures were also associated with adult depression and self-harm, such as skaters and loners, the, associated, uh, the association that was strongest was for goths. Young people who identified as sporty were least likely to have depression or self-harm at age 18. Fucking jocks. You fucking, oh, I, I don't self-harm. I just like to go out and on the, on the football field and get my head hit until I have CTE. Yeah, you fucking like self-harm. You just do it in a different way, you dumb shit. Fuck you. Fuck you, jock. You suck. No, no leftover angst from high school there. None. Um, but if you're thinking about self-harm or suicide, I'd recommend talking to somebody. Know that you're not a burden. People care about you. 
And if you ever need to talk, I'm here for you. I'm not even kidding. Hit me up on at a bucket cast on any socials and I'm there. I'll, I'll help you as much as I can. Moving on in goth news. In unfortunate goth obituaries this week, Chuck Deerdorf, jazz bassist, educator, and fellow local Seattleite, passed away this week at age 68 here in Seattle. Chuck first came to be known in the jazz scene in the mid-80s as a sideman to Don Lanfear. From there, he would be mostly a sideman for his life, playing with such modern greats as Bud Shank, Jim Knapp, and Dave Peck for several albums each. Chuck is survived by his wife and fellow music educator, Kelly Harland. So thanks for the low end, Chuck. Sleep deeply and dream on, goth brother. And finally in goth news this week, this week, goth and pizza patriarch Papa John Schnatter was in the news. Oddly, this time, not for anything bad necessarily, but in the obituary section. No, he didn't die, unfortunately, but instead, eulogizing someone he once knew. A guy named Al Reeds. Or sorry, Al Rees. Uh, Rees was a legendary marketing maverick that held a successful New York marketing business for five decades that Papa John's used at one time. He was best known outside of the advertising world as the author of the book, Positioning, The Battle for Your Mind, which has sold over 4 million copies worldwide and has been translated into 22 different languages. John Snatter, uh, founder of Papa John's, a Rise consulting client at one time, and fan of the Positioning book said, Al was a brilliant marketer, but even better human being. He was a man of integrity who will be greatly missed. Which, you know, I am now very suspicious of, um, of Al there. It's not 100%, uh, it's not 100% known how well the two knew each other, um, or when the last time they even worked or even spoke was, but one thing is for certain. Schnatter stepped down as CEO of Papa John's in 2018 after he blamed declining sales on football players protesting the treatment of black people in America, causing their stock to fall 30%. He then used the N-word during a conference call. Goth news! Oh boy, that was some goth news. Oh man, uh, what is going on with me this week? What happened this week? Oh, um, let's see. Uh, so last week, um, a friend of mine, Alicia Betty, who uh, runs this really cool thing uh, called uh, VHS Uber Alice, I think I've mentioned on it on the podcast before. And if you're in Seattle, you should definitely check it out. Um, or, you know, Seattle or the outlying areas. Uh, so what it is, is uh, once a month, they play uh, like the at, at a movie theater here, the Grand Illusion Cinema, which is the oldest cinema um, the oldest independent cinema here in uh, Seattle, they uh, play movies that were only ever released on VHS, which is really fucking cool. And they know I'm like a big media nerd like that. And so they were like, uh, they just hit me up uh, earlier this week and they were like, hey, I uh, got a, another ticket to a documentary at the SIF, the Seattle International Film Festival. Uh, you want to see that? And I was like, yeah, that sounds fucking cool uh, for sure. So I got to see it and I found out it's a, um, it was a documentary, uh, about two guys uh, named Joe Pickett and Nick Pruer, who are the, uh, founders of the found footage festival, which if you've never seen the found footage festival, it's absolutely amazing. Basically what these guys do is they, uh, you know, they just go around to, um, like thrift stores and places like that. And they also take, you know, uh, anything people send them in they'll just like go through these tapes and it's basically all VHS based and they'll just look for weird, funny scenes 
or like funny things that are happening. They also do a lot of stuff with, um, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, like, um, uh, local access and whatever. And so it's very funny, but these two guys, um, they're responsible for, uh, you might've heard of it. And if not, I totally recommend going onto YouTube right now and checking out yo, yo guy. Um, the guy his uh, I forget his name. It's Mark something. He's Mark, Mark Proust, Mark Proust, I think. Um, so he's become like a really big actor since then, uh, especially in comedy. And he's been on like the office and stuff like that. But most recently, uh, he's been, uh, you might know him as the emotional vampire from what we do in the shadows. And he's super fucking great in that role. He's so funny, but these guys, um, made that character for him. And after he went on to do other things, they decided to keep doing that. And by that, I mean, uh, pranking morning news shows, um, by like local morning news shows by pretending they're someone they're not. And they, so they went around the country and I got, I think got on like 18 different news shows as these two characters named chop and steel, uh, who are like strong men and they do funny things like lift each other up like wheelbarrows and like just do like really silly. Uh, they do like stepping on Easter baskets as a feat of strength and shit like that. Like stuff that is just like silly and funny and not like, and obviously like mocking that whole thing. Um, but they actually got sued by one of the, not the local station, but their parent company. And so that's kind of what the documentary is about. Like them fighting that, uh, that whole thing. And it's super interesting. Um, I loved it a lot, but the coolest thing about it is after the movie, they did a quick Q and a with the director, which was neat. But then after that, uh, Joe Pickett and Nick Pruer came on for like 45 minutes or an hour and did like a mini found footage festival thing after that, which was really awesome. Uh, I, you know, I saw them maybe like 10 years ago. I think they came through Seattle. Um, and it was, it was like super funny. I honestly didn't know they were still doing their thing. I had no idea they did this chop and steel thing. Cause you know, it was a good like five, six years after uh, I had actually seen them live. And I think even yo-yo guy was after I had actually seen them live. So, um, yeah, like super, super fucking funny shit. Uh, if the found footage festival comes through your town, I would recommend going seeing that. Uh, but if, uh, you can check out the documentary chop and steel, super fucking funny really good. Uh, but afterwards, uh, after the show, I get to talk to them, tell them I really enjoyed what they do. And, uh, I was, I was kind of inspired and I think maybe uh, I might do something video related with soy Trek in the future. I guess we'll see, you know, it's not a fact yet, but you know, what is a fact. I think it's time for a bucket fact. Let's do it. Oh, here we are. It's bucket fact time. That means we're taking another deep dive into the world of Buckethead. This time about another one of his strange one-off collaborations with another artist. This time with American funk rock and jazz fusion band Banyan, which is largely a studio project founded by Jane's Addiction drummer Stephen Perkins and songwriter Emmett Bloch, and regularly featuring uh, Nels Klein and Mike Watt, uh, both of whom are legendary sidemen in rock and roll. Uh, having both recently joined the label Cyber Octave in uh, 1998, and Buckethead having released Colma already, he was invited to provide some guitar tracks for uh, Banyan's second sophomore album, or I guess their 
sophomore album means second. That's redundant. Second sophomore would be their fourth album. No, it was just their second. They don't even have a fourth album. Uh, the band's previous and debut effort uh, wasn't as well received as they'd hoped, and so Banyan decided to bring in multiple studio musicians, friends and label mates, in order to expand the band's sound and songwriting. Other notable musicians include Flea and John Frusquante from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, obviously, and legendary upright bassist Rob Wasserman. Uh, also rapper Badass, interestingly enough. Uh, what results is actually a killer album that was incredibly well-received critically at the time, but never took off commercially. But it's far more eclectic than uh, the, bigger, the bigger bands of its parts, like uh, the guys in here from like Jane's Addiction, Porno for Pyros. Um, you know, Mike Watt played for the Stooges for, for like a decade. I don't know. So um, bigger, bigger than the bands of its parts. So maybe that's for the best because it's not really as accessible. Uh, but Buckethead appears on two tracks on this album, uh, track 10 and 11, Early Bird and Sputnik, respectively. Uh, I would very highly recommend Early Bird. Um, it's like field recordings of birds and flowing water along with Buckethead playing a solo clean electric guitar. It was released a couple months before he released Electric Tears, and honestly, there's a ton of similarities here uh, between this song and Electric Tears. And it's like a really beautiful two and a half minutes. Highly, highly recommended. Uh, Sputnik is actually really fucking cool too. And something entirely different and something we actually don't really hear from Buckethead outside of occasional praxis. Um, but it's real jazz fusion. Um, like six and a half minutes long and a really neat exploration of guitar and rhythm. Um, the drums and bass are super tight, uh, fit perfectly in the pocket and... The whole time Buckethead is just like fucking doing stuff and he has at least like two or three guitar tracks on here. Uh, it's really good. I don't know if there's also Nels Klein on here. I think it's just Buckethead, but I'm not sure. Um, sometimes there's a trumpet. That's pretty cool. Um, and if you like, you know, fusion music like uh, Tribal Tech or the Ripping Tins, um, it's, it's kind of like that. Not as heavy on the crazy bass stuff, but I think you'd probably be into this. Uh, this album was produced by the guy who produced Sublime's first album with uh, What I Got on there and did all the mixing for Snoop Dogg's major albums as well as all of Snoop Dogg's live mixing for over 20 years. And he recently passed, so RIP. For some reason, the band still exists, although kind of unofficially, uh, but this is their last studio album for 23 years now. This was released in 99. Um... They've played live as recently as 10 years ago. I found a video of them at a festival in 2012, but I can't find any evidence of Buckethead ever playing live with them or them really still existing at all. Still, it's two great songs, and I'd highly recommend the both of them. Um, so yeah, um, check it out. Hey, I listened to three more Pikes this week. Pike 318, 319, and 320. March 19th, 2020, Dreams Remembered and Dreams Remembered version 2, respectively. So, let's dive right in. Um, we're going to start with Pike 318, March 19th, 2020. This one was released on June uh, 24th, 2022, just a few months ago. And it's three days after the previous Pike, Live Feathers. This one clocks in at exactly 27 minutes. And it is one song called March 19th, 2020. Titular track. 
Um, so this one starts with a very mellow nylon string, acoustic, electric, and some soft drums over some very, very soft uh, keyboard pads. So, <coughs> excuse me. You know, it's kind of what uh, Buckethead has been doing for a while, but um, also kind of different. It's um, It reminds me a lot of Hold Me Forever, which was, you know, a lot of pikes ago. But it's very soft, very melodic, but not overly... I mean, it is... Hmm, how do I put this? It, it's not overly repetitive. It's really cool. Um, it's soft, mellow. It's kind of like, I mean, it, it, it does remind me of a, like a Buckethead tribute album. Like, it does sound like Buckethead lost someone. And I couldn't find anyone he might have lost in his life that did die on uh, March 19th, 2020. And so... I actually did look into that quite a bit. However, that was the day that uh, Gavin Newsom uh, went ahead, uh, governor of California, um, uh, announced that they were doing like a total state lockdown, basically. So this is kind of the the date that like the coronavirus, the pandemic, the whole lockdown, like everything got super, super real in California. The, uh, the shelter in place order date. Um, and Buckethead lives there, obviously, so... This is the moment when he was like, I mean, basically cut off from seeing, you know, his friends, his collaborators, stuff like that for two years. Um, really for, for, you know, a Buckethead acoustic song, it's pretty standard fare. Um, about halfway through, he does this really beautiful delayed nylon string part. Um, I really like that. Uh, honestly, I think the second half of the song really shines more than the first half in, in as much the second half of the album is better than the first half. Um, but you know, you have to be willing to sit through like a half hour long song to get there. I guess 15 minutes of like, eh, acoustic to get to, eh, that's, that's better than that acoustic. So ultimately it's a nice song, but not entirely eventful and not really something I would totally recommend unless someone is like, yeah, hold me forever is my favorite Buckethead Pike. And then I'd be like, Hey, you know what? I think I have something it's not quite as good, but I think you'd also like it. And I'd, I'd, I'd turn him in this direction. Mm. Um, the drums also uh, in the second half get, get a little bit more active. It's pretty cool. Um, I think a, like an acoustic solo or two might have really helped uh, what he was doing here. And we know he's back to doing solos now, so I don't really see why he didn't drop a solo in here somewhere, but... It was fine. Uh, he did what he did. He did it well. It's a decent pike. Uh, thank God it's not a live pike. Although a live acoustic pike could be something cool because Buckethead doesn't really play acoustic live that often. So, um, it's an okay pike, uh, but a little long for what it is. But if he's mourning, you know what? You know the pandemic and kind of like what happened. Um, you know if it's a song about the day he realized that like everything was shut down. I kind of get it a lot more in that context. Um, for me, I mean the day that like everything became super real about the pandemic, I guess. Cause like at the time I was working in a co-op at a grocery store and uh, you know, like when people started doing huge rushes on the toilet paper, um, which is before I think the lockdown and stuff, it like, I was like, Oh shit, fuck shit's fucked. Like I've never, Cause at that time I had been working in grocery stores 
for, you know, almost a decade, you know, probably like eight years, nine years. And like, I had never seen anything like that happen. And it just kept happening, which was crazy. Like, um, there was one week where we sold out of pasta, canned tomatoes, all of their pasta sauces and all of our paper goods. Um, and we were just out for like two weeks. Like we couldn't keep it on the shelf. It was absolutely nuts. Also, my grandma died sometime during that time. Um, apparently we didn't like find out until like months later, which is really fucked up and weird. And that's a whole other story. I think I might've talked about it. No, I didn't talk about it on the podcast. I think podcast started shortly after we found that out, but that was fucking weird and dumb and shitty. That's a whole bunch, that's a whole can of family worms there. That's absolutely crazy though. But yeah, um, pandemic was fucking weird. I mean, I guess it's still going on in a way. Um, but you know, we, we are trying to distance ourselves. Uh, let's, uh, let's see how is the pandemic? Uh, where is it? United States. All right. So, I mean, we're to the point now we're, we're doing okay. We're, we're about where we were last year, which if that means something like we're going to get a huge spike right around, right after the holiday season, right around the holiday season, uh, that's going to be real bad. That's going to be real bad. And I think that kind of starts with, you know, people going to see each other on Thanksgiving and then they, you know, start being symptomatic a week too later and start passing it around in other cities and shit like that. So that's, that's a, uh, that's not going to be great. Oh, we're at 1.83 million cases now. That's, that's cool. Oh no, that's in Washington. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. We're 96.7 million cases now. Almost one in three people in the nation has gotten it. And, uh, over one in 300 people in the nation has died from it. Kind of sucks. Anyway, let's get to our next Pike. Pike 319, Dreams Remembered, released on July 5th, 2022. 11 days after March 19th, 2020. The Pike, not the date. Uh, I'm, if you were Excel in listening to this, uh, Microsoft Excel in listening to this program, you'd be like, what the fuck? It's always a date. This one uh, comes in mm, 27 minutes and 54 seconds. Uh, once again, a single song. Guess what? All three pikes this week, one single song. Guess what? All three of them, about a half hour of nothing but acoustic guitar, soft drums. So this one has like no real, um, no real ambience to it. Actually, you know what? I'm going to talk about this album and the next album at the same time. Uh, the next album is Dreams Remembered uh, version two released on July 7th, 2022. So two days after this, I think it's, I listened to a bunch of different parts of it. I think it's literally the same guitar track and basically the same drum tracks, but like different, like more keyboard tracks on the back of it. And so there's only, um, you know, I guess seven seconds worth of difference, nine seconds worth of difference in both albums. Um, and honestly, I'm, um, I'm not too happy about it. You know, thankfully I don't buy the pikes and, uh, knowing that maybe you can be like, well, what are you fucking complaining about? But if I did buy both of these pikes, I'd be like, what? 
did I really just spend my money on the exact same album with some keyboards to it? Because, like, Pike 319 compared to Pike 320 sucks. But neither of them are that good. Um, they're all, they're both, like, not nearly as good as the Pike we just talked about, Pike 318, March 19th, 2020. And uh, they're both kind of doing the same thing, except they're a lot slower, they're a lot more repetitive, and they're a lot more tedious, really. Um, especially after 22 minutes on both songs, he does this simple melody that's fine for the first like minute or two, but it gets long and tedious and he draws it out for like the rest of the song in both cases. So it's, um, whatever, you know, whatever. Um, I don't know about that. You know, you know what I do know though? Let's talk about dreams. Remembered. What kind of dreams do you remember? Um, one dream that I always remembered that I think the only like real heavily recurring dream I've ever had in my life was, um, I used to have a dream where I'd be on an elevator alone, like in a very tall building. And, you know, I'd be like at the top floor, like going down or like from the bottom floor, I'd almost be at the top floor. And suddenly like something would happen. Uh, I don't know what it was never really explained, but I would just like, the elevator would just go into free fall down an elevator shaft. And I was like, you know, and I was stuck in the elevator. I would wake up right before it hit the bottom. And right before I would obviously, you know, be fucking smashed to bits. And, um, you know, it was, it was always like very traumatizing to be honest. And, uh, it was something that I actually like, you know, thought a lot about and I would actually lose sleep about it thinking that, Oh man, cause I, I'd have this dream maybe, you know, once a month, uh, you know, at the worst, maybe once every couple of weeks. And I'd, you know, be in my bed, just like restlessly, like thinking about like elevators, 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 which is, you know, it seems, seems like it could be reasonable, right? seems like it could be. But, um, so I had that dream up until one time I was talking to, I was, I think I was at a work site doing something and there was a guy there, like an elevator repairman, uh, working for a, I want to say Thyssen Krupp, which is just a great name for any engineering, anything, especially an elevator company. But, um, so he was working there and I told him about my dream and he's like, Oh, that's like impossible. And I was like, what, what do you mean? Uh, and he's like, well, so the thing is there's, uh, these like things, I think they were called like pneumatic stops or something like that. And basically what they are is, um, they are like pieces of rebar that are on the underside of all elevators and have been since like the 1950s or sixties or something like that. And if the elevator reaches a certain speed descending, they will just automatically shoot out pneumatically into the sides of the walls and the rebar and they'll shoot like directly straight through concrete, preventing any elevator from free falling. And in fact, no elevator, there's only been like two free falling elevators in the past like 50 years in the United States and, um, uh, not accepting like fucking nine 11, but you know, it's like, it's, it's crazy what the power of information can do. And like, I'll be honest, like, thanks to that elevator guy, like I got better sleep. Like my life was improved by him. So, you know, the more, you know, bum, 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 bum. So, um, then, uh, yeah, version two, it's a uh, 20, 28 minutes long and three seconds. 
like 320, released two days after last one. It's the second version of it. All it really has is keyboards, which is like, whatever. Um, and I, I, I just, I don't know how I feel about this. Um, I mean, it's basically the exact same album. And I don't, I don't love that decision. I'm not going to lie. Um, it reminds me of things like, uh, I don't know if y'all remember, but something like 20 years ago, Ozzy did a real dog shit move and uh, went ahead and uh, like he had the masters to his albums. And so he re-recorded Blizzard of Oz, but he didn't re-record the vocals and he didn't re-record Randy Rhodes guitars. He just re-recorded the drums and the bass in order to like cut like the original two dudes out of getting royalty payments and cut his two new dudes in, which is a really shitty thing to do. Cause I mean, it's not like the song sounded bad or like the production was like too dated to continue. Like you still had fucking, you know, we still have uh, black Sabbath stuff that still holds up today. You know, I, I keep on hearing it on like Rick and Morty ads recently. So I, you know, it's like, why, why do that? Like, Manowar did it a few years ago uh, to battle hymns, and I gotta say that was actually not bad. Like, because everyone in the band has basically gotten a lot better at what they do, and uh, fucking the production on it was mad good compared to the original one. So, you know, if it's the right thing to do, um, fine. But like this Pike, two days later, same album, keyboards. What are you doing, Buckethead? I don't love it. I don't love it. Um, wish you wouldn't do that. You know what? I think that's going to be it. That's, uh, that's the pike for pikes for the week. Um, so with that, would you all like to take a journey with me? I think it's time for some statements from the bucket void. Oh my god, oh my god, here we are, we are in the bucket void, this is the place where we go through the sordid YouTube comments on Buckethead's Pikes and talk about them. So, let's start at the beginning, Pike 318, March 19th, 2020, alright, let's start out with Metallica Forever-ish says three months ago, thanks for this beautiful pike bucket hat. I love it, heart emoji. Okay, whatever. Um, next, we got Greg Hyacinth says, a pretty good ambient journey. I like that he didn't stick to a looped chord with soloing on top for 20 minutes on this one. Not that he's been doing it, but I usually expect that when his songs are 20 plus minutes long, but I'm glad he didn't. Okay, Greg. I mean, there was a lot of repetition here, but I guess it wasn't like that kind of repetition. That's fine. Uh, Tweakend27 says three months ago, I wonder what the date represents. Really like this pike. It's none of those ones I'll have on in the background while I'm working. Eh, I guess it is a, a decent thing to have on the background while you're working. Uh, what do we What do we got? Um, so Brett Kilberry says in response, March 19th, 2020, California's stay-at-home order, I think. Which, yep, that's that's about it. Okay, so, next, uh, Florence Lefer, uh says about this album three months ago, 
Thank you for this pike. A great gift for me because March 19th is my birthday, even if this year we were in quarantine. I traveled in my many dreamlands during your playing. How to escape from the COVID quarantine. How to break the chains. Freedom Anthology. So quiet, so calm. You're an amazing and extra divine angel on earth. Music emoji, music emoji, music very nice of you, Florence Lafour. By the way, like, basically everyone, like, half of the people commenting on these these pikes now have Buckethead as their emoji, which is cool, but also concerning. Next we have uh, the Tishkin Man says three months ago, Pank title is a riot in my opinion. The music accurately represents what I was feeling at the time with uh, what with quarantine being enforced. All right. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Uh, God. And uh, the last, I guess, on this one, we have Jack Johnson. I wonder if it's the, uh, the, the musician Jack Johnson says two months ago, that's crazy. It's my dad's birthday. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. That's cool. It's not that crazy. There was a 365, one in 365 chance. Really not that, uh, not that nuts. And especially since he did like, you know, the Halloween one, that could have been it too. Like. He's already known Pikes about several days that could have been your dad's birthday, but, you know, it's fine that this is whatever. Whatever, man. Just whatever. Moving on! We got comments on Pike 319. And honestly, like, a lot of these comments, I mean, there's not many on here, so we're just gonna go through them. And the ones that are interesting, at least. We got Michael Devlin says three months ago, Another calm, relaxed masterpiece. Amazing how he can just keep cranking out these music masterpieces. Always something new. His imagination is endless. Mm, okay, yeah, it's okay. But masterpiece, strong wording for this. It's good, it's good. Christopher, I think, probably would agree, though, because Christopher says three months ago, This guy should be considered the Beethoven or Mozart of our time. All right. Rex Ryder says three months ago, Yet another masterpiece. Thank you, Buckethead. Um, I really disagree with masterpiece, but here we go. Um, that's fine. Um, so, uh, Sheena Kilgore says two months ago, So beautiful and reflective. Okay, beautiful and reflective. I can, I can actually, I'll accept both of those. That's good. That's good. Uh, friend of the show, Jason Evans, says two months ago, edited. Jason, you're editing a lot of your comments. What are you hiding? Uh, Jason says, uh, my two kids have unique musical taste. Sons into experimental neurofunk and daughter classic samba, but they both dig and appreciate Buckethead. When they visit me, often chill on the patio. They get lightly baked on Blue Dream and enjoy kicking back to Big B. Either the crazy weird shit or mellow ambient stuff like this. Both of your kids like sativas? Hmm. I'm not sure that's good parenting, Jason. But you know what? I'll leave it up to you. I've never had a kid that I know of. I hate that joke. Um, next we have uh, Sajin Ozon says three months ago, It is like an oasis in the arid desert. Which makes me, isn't an oasis like 
Oh, I guess that's a mirage I'm thinking of. Okay. An oasis in a desert. Okay. That's cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, next, we have Psychedelic Delicide. says three months ago. Psychedelic? No, Psychedelicide. So it's like killing psychedelics? That's a crazy name. He says, music is the holiest prayer. Thanks, B. Okay. I mean... If you're going to be faithful about something, I guess music is something cool to be faithful about. Um, you know what? One more from this one. Uh, EXP999 says, Chillaxin'. Thank you. Yeah, this is a Chillax album, I'd say. I would agree with Chillax. I am a big fan. Not really. I'm not a big fan, I lied. I'm a big fan of that attitude that it's chillax, and I think we should really bring back chillax as a society. What we shouldn't bring back is Dreams Remembered, because the second version of it is better, but honestly, neither of them are, like, exceptional on any level. I don't know. It's fine. Uh, you know, if you want to, listen to it. Make your own decision. I would definitely recommend... Uh, skipping Pike 319 and just listening to 320 if you're listening through all the Pikes. But uh, some people seem to think it's a masterpiece. Is it a masterpiece? That might be up to you. So next uh, we have Pike 320. Comments on Pike 320. Dreams Remembered version 2. So we have T-Frost says one month ago, Absolutely beautiful, pure magic, serenity via notes. You are loved, Buckethead. Okay, I mean, did they listen to the previous Pike? Because it's kind of the same thing. Eh, whatever. Uh, next we have Loaf says two months ago, Cassis, you've only made the wonderful song even more wonderful, even more angelic. But then I have to find another nine dollars? I will be a poor man, but perhaps a happy one? Honestly, folks, I'm buying them all. It's an interesting thing to say. That's fine. Uh, next, we have a little little interesting conversation. Uh, Brasscrass says, three months ago, LOL, even releasing version 2 of Pikes now. Gotta admit it's better than Pike 319, but why release 319 when you're gonna improve it anyway? And Buckethead Archive, who posts all these now, says, uh, Buckethead does whatever he feels like, for better or for worse. Sometimes it can be frustrating, but I'll take the annoyance if it means he's able to express himself without any compromises. And Don Hughes says in response to that, Amen. Which, yeah, so I would, I would agree with that assessment more or less. Like, yeah, Buckethead makes some stinkers. This, I, you know what? Pike 318, pretty good. 319, 320, kind of stinkers. 319, definitely a stinker because there's just a better version of it. Like, I think unquestionably better version of it. I don't think anyone is here saying that Pike 319, Dreams Remembered, is superior to Pike 320. Nobody's saying that. Um, it's it's two days difference. Like, so we released the Pike and he's like, oh, I really need to add keyboards on that. So he took two days to put them on there. And then he, I don't know. Like, it, 
it's it's fine. It's not disingenuous, and I don't think anything Bucket does is really disingenuous or like a cash grab or anything. But it's still like, you know, disappointing to see something like this, uh, especially from someone who's like, you know, I really respect him for having such a insane breadth of his output. But this, I don't know. Do you think it cheapens it? I think it kind of cheapens it. Uh, so this and the live pikes, like when he started doing stuff that just wasn't that creative anymore, I kind of lost track and it sucks. You know, it sucks to be there. Cause like, I really enjoy this project and I really enjoy what he's doing, but like coming up against the live pikes, uh, cause I think I only have like two more episodes left without live pikes. And then after that, I mean, the last like 15 or 20 pikes he's released have all been live. So there's a month or two there where, you know, I might just be reviewing live pikes. And as I talked about on the last episode, like, I mean, there's no way I'm going to make a guest listen to all that shit. That's fucked up. So I don't know what I'm going to even do with that. And so I don't know. It's a weird place to be. Not my favorite place to be, but that's that. Okay, so I think uh, with that, um, we're going to call it. That is the Bucket Void. Thanks for hanging with us here, motherfuckers. we are at that part of the show where uh, we go ahead and recommend something. So this week I'm going to recommend mm. and just finished up with my brother, uh, Nathan Fielder's The Rehearsal. Uh, if you've ever, if you're aware of Nathan Fielder, he did Nathan For You, which in my opinion is one of the most brilliant shows ever created. Um, the Rehearsal was, I don't know, something like that. Uh, I don't, if you're not familiar with Nathan for you, uh, he's like, he goes around to businesses and pitches some business ideas, all of which are fucking outlandish. Um, and like gets people to agree to absolutely outlandish things. And then he does them. It, it was very funny, very ahead of its time. It's like a prank show taken to the next level in a way. It's really great. But so what he did, uh, with this program is he got HBO to green like this. They gave him a ton of money and, what he did was he created a show called the rehearsal where basically the the pilot episode is like, there's this guy who has been lying about having a master's degree and he wants to tell somebody about it, uh, like his friend about it, but he doesn't know how to. And so Nathan Fielder hires actors and makes an exact replica of the bar that he's going to so this guy can rehearse doing it over and over and over and they can go through all the contingencies. And it, it's, it's amazing. It's brilliant. Uh, the first episode is one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen on television. Um, the second and third episode are great. It kind of loses its steam after that. And honestly, I wasn't too thrilled with how it wrapped up, but I, you know, I'm going to recommend it just based on the strength of the first three episodes alone, because they're some of the most brilliant television I've ever seen in my life. Fucking fantastic. What else we got? Um, oh, you know what? It's, uh, it's the middle of October. It's spooky season. I probably should have done this earlier, but, uh, you know, let's talk horror movies for a minute. Um, you know, if you're looking for a good horror movie, 
Um, I've I've got lock, lots of recommendations, and you can you're always welcome to DM me anywhere and ask me for recommendations on anything. But um, you know, I I thought it would be kind of cool to go through my uh, my top five horror movies, and you know, give a give a brief little talk about them. Um, so. Uh, with no further ado, let's talk about my top five favorite horror movies of all time. Uh, the first one is going to be 2005's The Descent. Uh, if you've seen this one, uh, you'll know it's, um, it's a British horror film, uh, written by a guy named Neil Marshall, who also wrote, uh, Hellboy, uh, Centurion, um, Doomsday, uh, but this I think is by far his best thing. Uh, it, he also directed it. Um, I don't know if he's directed a ton of stuff. You know what? Actually, he has directed a ton of stuff. He, he's directed most of the stuff he's done, including the remake of Hellboy. That was actually, you know, not bad. Um, he also uh, directed some uh, Game of Thrones and Hannibal and stuff like that. So, you know, dude's been around, but. Um, uh, one of the best things he's ever done, I think was fucking the descent. Um, it is a spelunking horror movie and I, it, I can't really talk about it too much without spoiling it, but I will just say it is incredible. Um, and it gives you this, the craziest sense of, uh, claustrophobia and just like unknowing and also like the, the concept behind it is absolutely brilliant. Uh, it is one of my favorite hot modern horror movies. Actually, I'm going to say my second favorite horror movie released in my lifetime, which is high praise. Cause I watch, I watch a lot of fucking horror guy. I watch a lot of horror next. Number four for me, Ridley Scott's alien 1979. Uh, you've probably seen this one. It is an absolute motherfucking banger. Um, there's nothing about it that I don't love. Ripley is one of the most badass protagonists ever. The sense of darkness, uh, the art by H.R. Geiger, the sense of pacing, set design, everything about the film is the creepiest shit. It's, it's incredible. Um, it is one of the best produced horror films ever made. It's one of the better sci-fi films ever made and easily without a doubt in my mind, the best sci-fi horror ever made. And one of really like the first real sci-fi horrors ever made. I'm talking like terrifying. I mean, they had other kind of stuff, you know, invasion of the body snatchers, shit like that, that you could kind of, interpret that way but it was more like horror in the you know fucking twilight zone context like oh that's that's a little spooky but like the you know alien took it to the next level and made space absolutely terrifying and it fucking holds up for a 43 year old film it is incredible for a 42 year old film the Shining is my number three. Also incredible. Made in 1980. Stanley Kubrick uh, adapted from Stephen King. Stephen King famously did not like the film, but it made him a fuck ton of money. Uh, I don't know if you've seen... Um, Stephen King actually wrote um, an adaptation that ended up as a TV miniseries starring Stephen Weber. And he reportedly likes that version a lot more 
Uh, it's dog shit though. I would not recommend watching it. Um, it's got all of the dumbest ideas in the book, like evil topiaries and shit like that. And like they make them with like 1990s CGI. So it is not good. It is not recommended and it's bad, but 1980s, the shining has such a brilliant sense of pacing, uh, atmosphere. I mean, it's a, it's a Stanley Kubrick film. So like, where can you really go wrong there? Like Stanley Kubrick was a fucking madman who made some of the greatest films of all time. He's one of the most toxic artists I'll still like patronize because, you know, A, he's dead. B, he was only just like a terrible guy who was very difficult to work with and made, you know, usually rich actors really uncomfortable and stuff like that. But I guess his crew too and stuff like that. But the art he made was so good that like, you know, he's not yet quite canceled in my heart. Next, number two for me. And, uh, I wasn't sure where to put this in the list. It actually started at five and it slowly creeped up, uh, to number two. Cause I just kept on thinking about it. I'm like, no, it was so fucking good. Uh, 2018's hereditary by Ari Aster is absolutely fucking next level. It is, I mean, not only one of the best horror films I've ever seen, it's one of the best films I've seen in the last 10 years easily. I'd say I'd say it's in the top 2 or 3 films in the last 10 years. It is an incredibly wild ride. It takes the genre and somehow just makes horror more horrifying. Tony Collette um in the lead role is beyond incredible in her fucking I don't also Millie Shapiro, the, the, who plays a little girl is fucking crazy good in there. But Tony Collette, her mental decline in the film, like is one of the craziest, coolest, most accurate depictions I've seen of someone absolutely losing their mind. And like you lose your mind with Tony Collette in the film. And it is truly an experience to behold. I cannot recommend that enough. It is so goddamn good. Uh, and then, number one, The Thing from 1982. John Carpenter's absolute masterpiece. And, you know, looking at a lot of a lot of top ten lists and stuff for, for um, inspiration here, The Thing was on a lot of top tens. It was not on number one for a lot of people, though, which I, uh, I take issue with. It is, it's a perfect movie. Um, it has humor, it has charm, it has an amazing sense of atmosphere for a 40 year old film. It is still perfect and still a better, more modern feeling film than the fucking soft reboot or whatever they did of it, like in 2019 or something like that, which is fine, but nothing will ever, ever come close to the re original, the thing from 1982. Check that shit out. Uh, other honorable mentions, uh, Dario Argento's Suspiria, uh, Lucio Fulci's House by the Cemetery, and The Beyond. If you want to see the best uh, practical effects of your life, check out Lucio Fulci, um, uh, Italian director, I think, just one of, one of the best of all time. Um, the original Dawn of the Dead, George A. Romero, uh, Evil Dead 2 from Sam Raimi, uh, Hellraiser 1 and 2, both from Clive Barker, 
uh, eraser head if you count that as a horror i don't know that's more of a yeah i guess that's a horror uh also um you know if you count like cronenberg although i consider most of his stuff more like body horror slash thriller if you count any of that i actually might put like video drone at number two or something but i don't know exactly how to qualify that so you know what i would recommend all of those horror films and i just recommend uh, you know getting into spooky movies it's uh, tis the season you know what i'm saying hell yeah you know with that i think it's time to get into some bucket jokes I tried to play a game of pickup basketball the other day, but I accidentally ran over both teams with my pickup. The time white women enjoy astrology the most is when Pluto's in Uranus. That's a joke about white women fucking dogs. I had to return some stationery the other day because I kept on being able to move it. I know some American sign language. There's like stop, yield, children at play, exit in one mile. Catholic mass? Is that the same thing as Catholic energy divided by the Catholic speed of light squared? I was with some friends and I began to pass out from heat stroke. They asked me what they should do, but I hadn't the faintest idea. I made an ad pitch to Keurig Dr. Pepper for ginger ale the other day, but they did not like it at all. Apparently, Jesus Schwept was potentially offensive and the dumbest thing they ever heard. I started a beauty pageant for morticians where the best fixed-up corpse wins. There's some real stiff competition. I'm a dom, so when I heard there's a new Dahmer series on Netflix, I was like, wait, there's another level to this? I don't believe in love at first sight because some beautiful people smell like fucking garbage. That's all my jokes for the week. Um, so, uh, every week I, uh, you know, when I'm writing my jokes, I'm looking at other jokes all around the internet, trying to get some inspiration, figure out what's funny, how I can play with words in a fun, fun way. And, uh, inevitably I find some bad jokes, some bad, bad, bad jokes, some terrible jokes that are much, much worse than my jokes. I think you might not, but you know, that's uh, viewer discretion, listener discretion, whatever you are, just your, your own discretion. I don't give a fuck. So we got some, um, we got some bad jokes here. So let's start here. Uh, the first woman who makes you love cheese is just your favorite grandmother. Is it only me who likes to sleep only six hours and nine minutes, especially when my babe is around? What meme culture has progressed through in 15 years took art roughly 1,500 years to do? Nobody falls asleep anymore during a marimba concert. Wikipedia 
is an incredible source of information. You know, oh, I think it's going for incredible because it's not credible. You know what? I was almost going to say that that was a funny joke just because, like, if you give it deadpan enough, like, telling jokes, be like, Wikipedia is a very good source of information. Like, it's so not a joke that it could be funny. I'm not sure. Here's another bad joke. Sometimes being behind the eight ball isn't a bad thing. If it's your final shot. What? Okay. Never thought I'd hate something more than water cooler conversations until I had a water heater conversation. Okay. You dealt the cards, so now you gotta play for hand. Play for hand. Play for hand. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. There I was, sitting on the toilet, taking a poop, when all of the sudden, I don't have to poop anymore. What the f- Dude, these fucking suck so much. I'm single for a reason. Can sound really cool, or really sad. I guess that's the bad jokes. All right, so after the bad jokes, every week I uh, I decide if these bad jokes are good or not, and so now I have a running list of actually good bad jokes. Here we go. I met a whore in Philly with a glass eye. She would pop it out and wink guys off for a dollar. If a vampire could ejaculate, I'd call him Draculator the Ejaculator. The Twin Towers didn't really stand the test of time. A criminal can never swim because he's Sin King. Sin King. The King of Sin. Like a king. Okay. Two women walked out of the library. They cleaned it so well. Kurt Cobain received mind-blowing head on April 5th, 1994. A man walks into a stable, and the horse says, Why the small cock? Ha, 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 joke! Oh boy, I guess that's the entire show. Oh boy, that's, uh, thanks for hanging with us. Me, whatever, whoever. Who cares? Fuck you. I don't care. Uh, if you want to talk to me or comment on anything, find me at any social at a bucket cast, uh, basically any social, not like TikTok or a few things, but you know, a bucket cast, um, go ahead and like, and review our show on podcast land, Apple podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. If you can, I don't know. Um, fuck it. Uh, oh yeah. And, uh, go check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash dumb idiot BS. I think that's all I got for you this week. Thanks for uh, hanging with us, everybody. I have been Britton Ryan Straw, and you've been listening to Getting Head, a bucket cast. Stay greasy, bucketheads. Namaste. Abiyachi.